Welcome back to the Moda Metier Visionaries podcast season 2. We are excited to be taking things in a new direction this season with a focus on sustainable and impactful fashion. Each month we'll be inviting a special guest to join us and share their insights and experiences in this area. This month we are thrilled to welcome Lisa D. Foster. Lisa is a business coach, ecopreneur and author of a memoir about her journey from being a high school teacher to starting the first to market reusable grocery bag company, one bag at a time. Lisa is a pioneer in the fight against single-use plastic and quickly became a top supplier of reusable bags in the US. Incredible achievement! She shares her expertise in leadership and emotional intelligence through coaching and speaking engagements, including her most recent TED talk on sustainable fashion. Welcome, Lisa. It's such a pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you, Neri. Thank you so much for having me. So can you tell us about your journey as an ecopreneur, including the founding and the growth of your company one bag at a time, and also your transition to becoming a business coach? How did it all happen? Okay. I started as an English teacher. I was a high school English teacher, and uh, we were on a trip to Australia when I discovered reusable bags. And I just... I, I began to understand the reason behind them, the ecology. And the numbers were really shocking to me, actually horrifying. Um, at the time, the U.S. was using a billion plastic bags a day. About a third of them were leaking out into our environment. And we all remember seeing them wafting over our city streets and getting clogged in the gutters and hanging off the trees. Eventually, all of that plastic breaks up and washes into our oceans was wreaking havoc with marine life. Um, the current estimates are that a dump truck worth of plastic goes into our oceans every minute. It's kind of an astounding thing to even think about every minute. And, you know, we think the oceans are so big, but the, the scientists estimate that there will be more plastic than fish in the ocean by 2050 unless we do something about it. And in 2005, when I understood the numbers of what was happening and where that was going, I decided to do something about it. In your book, you talk about, I want, uh, I want you to perhaps take the listeners to the journey of when you are in the grocery store. And the very first, I, you described this so beautifully in your book. I was reading it and it, it's just a, a great first start. How did it happen? <laughs> It was just that, that light bulb going off. Um, so when we first got to Australia, my husband had a project there for six months. We took our kids. They were going to go into school. They were in high school. It was just, it was a big move for us. And I got to the, I wasn't very happy because I had to leave my job and I wasn't sure I'd get it back. So I went to the grocery store. You have to eat. And, um, I, my jet lag just kicked in as I hit the cashier. And the cashier looked at me and said, would you like a bag? And, you know, I might have been sharp with her. I said, of course I want a bag. Like, how will I get all this? Like, I was just kind of agitated anyway. But I did have this intention when I went to Australia. I had decided that if I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom, I'm going to be the best stay-at-home mom ever. Like, I'm going to crush it. You know, I'm going to be a real stay-at-home mom in Australia. So I really wanted to fit in. So instead of being sharp with her, I just looked around because I'm thinking, 
there's something I'm supposed to say here. What am I supposed to say? Because I wasn't expecting the question. The woman in front of me had her, these green bags, they looked like canvas. They were a little bit lighter and they were packed. The woman behind me had an armful of these bags. And I realized I'm supposed to say, oh no, thanks, I have my own. But I didn't have any bags. They had them right there by the checkout for 99 cents Australian, which was 75 cents American. I'm like, easily. So I grabbed a few, put them on. I said, I'll take these. And I didn't know why I was doing it, but I did want to fit in. And I just, it's, it's a great reminder to all, you know, entrepreneurs and fashion people, you know this, right? In fashion, that desire to fit in is really strong. And it's a, it's a huge motivator, right? How can we fit in and look right and do the right thing? We do want to belong. Um, and that was really the first impulse of how I started later. I found the ecology. And that was when I was like, oh my gosh, we all have to do this. We have to do this in the United States. And I became dedicated to bringing reusable bags to the U.S., even though I had no idea. When I, I was an English teacher, I could tell you a lot about Shakespeare. <laughs> you know, international supply chains, I, I didn't, I really started from ground zero. And you became an entrepreneur, a very, very successful one. So can you discuss some of the biggest challenges you faced while running your business and how you overcame them? Yeah, I hit a hockey stick curve. I seem to be just a little bit ahead of everybody else. But by the time a year later, after I started my company, Al Gore came out with his um, inconvenient truth. By that time, I had a website and a supply chain. I had a supplier and a website. And my phone just started ringing. The first year that I was in business, I sold a quarter of a million grocery bags. And the next year, I sold two million grocery bags. It was 10 times. Wow. And the third year, I sold 8 million grocery bags. It was four times. And it was just that massive curve. So just for the first really five years of my company, I sat down at my desk every day and wrote orders as fast as I could write them. And I did get good. I learned from every mistake. I learned from everybody. I asked a lot of questions. I learned how to manage a supply chain. I became very good friends with my supplier in China, who was a key part of my business. And I was, I used all those leadership qualities that we know work. Empathy, listening, helping her remove the obstacles that, that were in the way of her success, encouraging her to, to be more, you know, encouragement. All of those things that we know work with people. I just learned how to lead by my daily interactions and their performance was really incredible. We had extremely high quality control. Yes. And also in the very beginning, you were a high school teacher and in the book, you describe it so well. Like okay, now when you are answering my question, you, you know, of course you are saying, yes, Al Gore documentary came. But before then, you have family friends who look at your not even a business plan. You don't have that at the time, but you tell them about your idea and some dismiss it saying, why would that even work? And, you know, the, it's, it's unbelievable that it will work at the time. But despite that, you persevere. And 
can you go back to the very early days perhaps and how you made it through and I think your friend placed an order with you for 2000 bags initially. Oh, she was amazing. Yes. Yeah. So I started to figure out, you know, I kind of I wasn't sure if I was really going to do it or not do it and I was talking to all my friends, all my friends thought it was a great idea, you know. And I had one friend who's uh she's an an, an environmental activist too and she looked at me and she goes that bag thing just do it. You should do it. And I was like Okay, that bag thing. I think I'll do it. Like, and then I started to figure it out. And I, I found the supplier from the tag inside one of the bags that I brought from, from Australia. Like, which I just got very lucky with that, that I'd already had a bag and there was that supply. So that was a connection there. And I kept telling all my friends, all my friends wanted bags. I couldn't get any more. Like I was just running out of options. And, but a lot of them said, Hey, you should talk to my husband. He's a business consultant. So I had one of them over for lunch and, um, I made a really good lunch because I was like, okay, I have to be, you know, I have to bring him into this idea, you know, and, uh, and I have to sell him my idea. And over lunch, I'm trying to tell him about reusable grocery bags. He gets this very bad look on his face. He does not eat the very good lunch that I made for him. And he just says, it's a terrible idea. It will never work. Americans will never bring their own bag back to the to the store. They'll never buy a bag. He goes, and then he looked at me and he says it really slow, like you know when people don't understand something. You know, you start you start. Goes, that is European. <laughs> <laughs> and he left, and I was like, "Why? All my friends love this. Why doesn't he like it?" Because really he's a consultant. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, you know, why? Why do the business people not like this idea? All my friends like it. I was like, is this a business problem? Like, is this really a bad business? Or is this a guy thing? Like, I just didn't know. And then I talked to another friend who was also somebody's cousin, um, who was a business consultant. And he listened to the whole idea. He listened. His house, we were sitting there. We're over, we're on Martha's Vineyard. We're overlooking the ocean. And I'm telling him about the bags and I'm telling them washing into the ocean. I'm telling him about the fish. I'm telling him about, you know, how much plastic is in the ocean. And we're looking out and he goes, he was great. He said, I don't know if you'll make any money, but if you're going to do this, you need a tipping point strategy. And that was when I understood. And I went back and I read the tipping point by Malcolm Gladwell, really key reading, I think, for any entrepreneur, right? Is that, you know, you just have to have make a dent somewhere. Can you tell us more about the tipping point? Because I know in the book, this is a very, very big point that you are making. And in fact, to me, it sounded like this was the foundation of your business. 100%. I built my whole business. Basically, it gave me a business plan. <laughs> really, more of a marketing plan than a business plan. Um, it says, to start a trend, you need three things. The first thing you need is... Um, a sticky idea. And I thought, all right, reusable bags, they're sticking in Australia. They had stuck in Ireland before that, Bangladesh, other places were doing it. I thought, all right, this could be sticky here in the US. Maybe not yet, but it's a good idea. Two, you need super connectors. And I was like, I just have my friends. Like literally, I had my book group. Um, 
but super connectors turned out to be everywhere. Uh, the media, my local newspaper, like do not overlook your local newspaper, your local podcast, your local, the people that you meet. Don't overlook those people. They're very powerful. You never know. When I was published in the newspaper on Martha's Vineyard, I had people calling me from there. And that started a whole thing. So, um, and conferences. I went to Expo West, which is the top natural food products conference in Anaheim in March that year. And the idea was just very sticky there. And I got some press from that. So um, just you just reach out to everybody, anybody who will listen to you, anybody who is who might be your your customer, go find them, talk to them. I know a lot of entrepreneurs who keep their ideas really close to their chest. I'm like, go talk about it. Go, go, go. Don't give away your technological secrets. Don't give away like the things that really make your business tick. But the idea if you can't sell it to people one-on-one when you're talking to them, you'll never be able to sell it with an advertisement or something else, right? You have to start there. You have to tell you learn how to sell it. And I did a bunch of cold calling. Um, and then the third piece of the tipping point is um, the context. And you have to connect somehow to your people. It has to speak to people contextually in their life. And that's what Al Gore did to me, Al Gore for me. Um, Al Gore, global warming before that was kind of a tenuous idea. And people were really pretty skeptical about it. And he put it on the map, made it a household word, and pretty much convinced most people after that movie, most people who saw it were like 90% convinced that this is happening. But um, you know, maybe it went from just being a fringe idea to a very mainstream idea. So I had the supply chain. I had all the elements. I had a good idea. I had a supply chain. I had a website. And I started looking around for super connectors and I spent a lot of time and I would cold call anybody. If somebody said, oh, my friend so-and-so, and I would call them up, like just pick up the phone, call them up, say, hey, this is what I'm doing. And some people will just encourage you and say, hey, that's great. And some people will say, oh, well, why don't you talk to this person? They might be a customer. Shall I tell the story of my first sale? Yes. Okay, this is so great. So, yeah, it was just me and my my book group. And I just wasn't sure where any of this very early days. And um, I found a supplier. The minimum quantity was 8,000 bags. And um, I wasn't really sure, you know, it was going to cost uh, about the same amount as I made as, a, as an English teacher in a month, right? It was, a, you know, it's not, we're not talking billions of dollars, but that was a good amount of money for me. And I wasn't sure I was going to do it. And I'd been talking to my book group and she looked at me and she just said, well, how many do you have to take? And I said, 8,000, like it was an impossible number, eight, that like, what am I going to do with 8,000 grocery value? I'm really just like, I don't know. And she looked at me and she just said, I'll take 2,000. It was just the most supportive thing anyone ever could have said. She just, she had a little store. She just took enough that I knew I couldn't let her down. I actually placed my first order for grocery bags because I had to deliver to my friend. 
And this is the power of water. But for her, it wasn't a big deal to spend that kind of money. I think she still has some in her <laughs> But, you know, when you have a friend who will just support you with that for sale, whether it, you know, it costs you just a little bit and you put yourself out, that kind of encouragement is incredibly powerful. Absolutely. Right? And I thought when I was reading the book, by the way, I keep referring to your book. Anyone who is listening to us, please buy the book. I was telling Lisa before our Let's say the title. The title is Bag Lady by Lisa D. Foster. Yeah, Bag Lady by Lisa D. Foster. And I put a link also in the show notes that will take them directly to Amazon. The book is exceptional. I read it in one sitting, in just one day, one go. I couldn't put it down. And I just because it tells a very honest journey of an entrepreneur who is happens to be an English teacher in a high school. Correct me if I'm wrong, Lisa. Correct. And then you take a trip to Australia where your values match what you want to do and you decide to start a, basically a reusable handbag comp- uh, bag company. And yeah. it, it's it's amazing because I what I really liked in the book was how honest you were, and everything your journey was very detailed in a very honest way and in a very engaging way. So anyone who is listening, highly recommend it, especially for those who want to start a fashion business, because there is a lot of tips in there. Just like you are telling us now about the three main tips from the tipping point. So one question I have it has to do with the super connectors because in the book you talk about the super connectors a lot and I just uh, want to know what would your advice be for those who may not have access to well-known people who may let's say come from disadvantaged backgrounds who may not know the right people or who are just simply introverts and shy the introversion you're going to have to get over that you're going to have to talk to everybody but you never know who is going to be that super connector. One of them was the principal of the school where I was teaching. Now, even if you're a parent, you should be talking to the teachers, talk to the administrators, talk to the principal of that school. The principal of that school knows a lot of people in the community. That's a powerful community position, right? So the principal of your school, go to the conferences, go to your local, just your local um, bazaar or your local artisan fair and talk to the people there. You don't know who is going to grab it. Make sure there's a really good tag on every item because if somebody has it, it says, wow, I've got this great, you know, fashion piece, you know, it's vegan leather or whatever it is, right? And they show it to a friend. You want to be able to make sure that the friend knows exactly where to get it. Right. So you have to have that branding. You have to have the tag somewhere so that everybody can identify it and and they can go out and get it. So that's how you get the super connectors to sign up for a conference. Um, And like I said before, your local media, your very, your local radio station, your local newspaper, a local magazine that just covers your little area. Um, Any of those people begin to connect you you don't even know i had one super connector so when i first started on martha's vineyard 
I sold them in my local grocery store. Um, And I did get it covered in the local newspaper. And somewhere a couple of months after they came out, I got a letter, an email from somebody. And she was in, I think, Chicago. And she said, I got a bag from my friend in Philadelphia who brought your bags home from Martha's Vineyard. I would like to get 10 of your bags and send them to all of my friends. So I sent her 10 bags. Then I'll get a call from like St. Louis. I got a bag from my friend in Chicago. She got it from her friend and I want 10 bags to send to all of my friends. This went on and on throughout the fall. Literally, who this person is, that first person, I didn't know. But it's proof that when you have a sticky idea, how fast that can spread. This was before social media. This is before Facebook. This is before, I mean, the tag on my bag went viral before social media. It just really person to person, town to town, one grocery store after another, it just spread so that I got that quarter of a million, two million, eight million, that kind of hockey stick curve. But you have to just talk to everyone. So the introversion, you're going to have to leave it at home for a little while. (laughs) That's a great advice. You know, a while ago, I heard someone say to me, who will show up for your business if you don't show up for your own business, something along these lines. And I think what you've done, it's such a great example of showing up for your business when it didn't even exist. You believed your own idea. And this is truly about any business, but particularly in fashion, you have to have passion. When no one believes you, when no everyone is just saying, no, 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 this is not going to work, there has to be an internal yes that says, I believe this, I'm going to go do it. And this drives a lot of the success behind almost any business, especially in the beginning. I, I think that's so true, Neri. It's so true. It's just, you have to believe in yourself. You have to tune out the naysayers. There's always going to be naysayers, always. So just tune it out, tune into the people who like it, find who they are, connect with them. The people who don't like it, that's fine. You're not going to sell to everybody, right? So just find the people you connect with and believe in yourself. You have to believe in yourself first. Exactly. So you sold your business now, am I right? I did. Yeah. Can you tell us about that as well? What was the decision behind it? Yeah, I mean, it was at the point where I had had some business success and some business failures. I'd lost some, I'd invested too heavily in something, in a product, and it didn't work out. And that was a really difficult time. And I was at the point where really our my research in nationwide surveys that I had conducted, that I had commissioned, said that 60% of Americans were using reusable bags most of the time when they shopped. Now, when I started, that number was 3%. So going from 3% of Americans to 60% of Americans, I just felt like I had done what I meant came to do. I felt, I, I think those numbers would be higher. Colorado just put in a bag law this year. Um, more and more states are putting in bag laws. So, um, because it makes sense, the numbers, you know, why do we want to spend so much money? It's not just the, the, the plastic in the ocean, but we're spending plastic bags were a $4 billion a year business. And 
San Francisco estimated that every bag cost the city 17 cents in disposal and cleanup costs. And when you start talking about billions of bags, why do we want to be spending $17 billion, right? Billions of dollars, you know, a day, right? It was a billion bags a day. You can just imagine the money, the wasted money in municipalities. So um, anyway, I felt like I had come and done what I set out to do, but I had a good business. So I knew the numbers I needed to hit. I got a business broker and they told me how the numbers come off actually just not even, you know, the, the tag, the statements from your taxes. And I knew I just had to make a certain amount of money and pay my taxes for three years. And then you sell it for a multiple of what you're making. And, um, it was good. It was a, it, it took me a year to sell it right from the time that I reached out to the broker had all my statements together. Um, they did a business, a confidential business review. We wrote up basically 20 pages of how the business works. I think also what helped sell it was I, I wrote up, I had some instructions for, you know, if somebody was taking over from me or somebody was helping me out, I had some instructions for how to do some of the accounting and things. I just expanded that to how to run the business, you know, how to order, how to write a purchase order, how to, you know, how to pay your vendors, how to receive payments, um, how to, what you can, you know, how you communicate with your customers online. And so I wrote up a little, you know, owner's manual for my, for my business, which was a selling point. And, um, eventually I found somebody who really put down quite a bit of money and bought my business. I was pretty pleased. Congratulations. <laughs> like I said, I sold it. I sold it for more, well, more than 10 times what I was making annually as an English teacher. So it was a pretty good chunk of change right there. Um, and I felt pretty good about that. And I was done. I didn't really want to be a commodity trader. I didn't want to be a grocery bag purveyor. It was a private label item mostly. So it wasn't really my fashion. It was, it represented other people's brands. Yeah. And you became coach and a coach on emotional intelligence what was the decision behind that and also i'm curious to know how do you incorporate sustainability practices now into your coaching work yeah so i um i felt after the whole journey that i had learned so much about leadership and the emotional intelligence part just really it, it's it's a fancy word maybe for some people but what it really means is tuning in to real people and understanding what they need, listening to them, empathy, all those things. And I learned that working with my supplier overseas, working with my team in America. I made my my leadership mistakes, but I um, and I learned from all of them. And I thought, you know, I've got a lot to give back. And I I did a coaching certification, then I did a certification on emotional intelligence. So I do assess my clients, we get data. It's really eye-opening and helpful to my clients. They get their emotional intelligence report back and I help them read it. And most of them look at it and they say, well, this explains my whole life. You know, I had one, I had one person who looked at it. She goes, well, I'm really low in impulse control. She goes, it, is that a 
thing, impulse control? I'm like, yeah, it's a thing. She just never really imagined, you know, she just never thought about it. She wasn't raised like that. She was raised in a household where you just said what you wanted to say. Um, and I was like, that's not always going to work in business. <laughs> Interesting. So people really just see themselves. And that's really what coaching is about. Me helping people get clarity about how other people might be seeing them and how do they want to be seen. And then becoming the kind of leader that they want to be known as. I see. And how do you think businesses can effectively communicate their sustainability efforts to consumers and other stakeholders? Yeah, I work with um, some solar companies, a lot of biotech people. And what I find with sustainability is that it really, like I said in my TED Talk, it has to be part of your corporate identity. It has to really begin with a very authentic commitment to being sustainable. So for some businesses, this is an investment and it may take them three to five years to see the returns on that investment. They'll see it. Um, there, there's just a growing consumer demand for authentic, sustainable goods. So if you're not doing it, you're going to be left behind. Somebody else is going to take your market share. Um, many people, as they go sustainable, will find their first returns come when they stop when they reduce their waste. So the guy I did my TED talk to, I'm an anti-bag activist. He's a plastic bag manufacturer for three generations. And he just thought, you know, the more plastic bags, the better. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Um, and the first thing when he realized that plastic bags were just like the poster child of unsustainability and it was going to affect his business, he got educated he really invested in his own education and then he came back and the first thing they decided to do was to reduce their internal scrap waste and their scrap waste went down by four hundred thousand pounds of scrap and they saved like over a hundred over a hundred thousand or two they saved i can't remember what the numbers were those hundreds of thousands of dollars of their expenses just went away because they weren't wasting it This is very interesting because, you know, you and I talked about it. Sustainability is your competitive advantage. A lot of the times people think, oh, it's sustainable. Maybe in the beginning, there is a little bit of greenwashing or in a way to make sure they follow the compliance rules and regulations. But at the end of the day, if you are sustainable, you are a winning and resilient business in the long run. In the long run, and especially in, you know, one, one thing you said about context, the external environment, what's happening right now is affecting every single business out there. And if you close your eyes and say as a business, okay, I'll just pretend to be sustainable and just try to follow the rules, that's not going to work either. You're right. Like compliance is just complying with um, regulations is the minimum. It is not a competitive advantage. You're, you're complying. Everybody is, right? And you're right. There's a huge difference between making an authentic commitment to sustainability and 
greenwashing or just doing the minimum. Yes. A lot of people say, well, how do I communicate my green efforts? And I'm like, well, what are the green efforts you're doing? Focus on what you're doing. Communication should come after you actually have a sustainability plan. What's your sustainability? Stop thinking about communications. That is the last part of your plan. Really, you have to look at how do I reduce waste? Well said. And what many of the people who are going sustainable are finding is that the effort to go sustainability is spurring innovation. They're finding new things that are not out there. And that's where the competitive advantage really begins, right? You reduce your waste. Then you launch new products. Suddenly, you revitalize your entire business. Completely spot on. It's a huge opportunity for innovation. It's a strategic move. Completely. So what advice would you give to the business leaders? Just, I think you did already, just trying to incorporate sustainability practices into their operations. Is there anything else that you would add? You know, you just said, focus on what you are doing later on, focus on marketing and your communication. But is there anything else that comes to mind? I would say really you or someone in your company really needs to get the education, right? You really, really need to be up on the data and what really is sustainable. You know, a lot of, I know California wrote their bag law so that um, it covered paper and plastic bags, but New York wrote their bag and they outlawed plastic bags. They didn't put a fine on paper bags. So people, a lot of people are just going to paper bags. Paper bags emit three times more global warming emissions. Recycling them is very heavy emissions, trucking them around, putting them back into manufacturing chemicals, etc., and then back, trucking them back to a store. Um, it's just do your homework. Understand where you're going before you leap. Do those innovations, but know that you're not just doing something to do something. A lot of plastic companies got rid of BPA, which was great, except that they just substituted something equally as toxic that we just don't know the name for yet. That's going to backfire, right? So really, if you're going to substitute something out that looks unsustainable, look for the real true sustainable solution. Something that is non-toxic, something that is, you know, going to go back into the earth without coming back to, you know, without harming anybody. So true. So as we are coming to the end of the of our discussion, is there any upcoming projects and, or initiatives that you are working on at the moment? Um, I have an article out today, actually, on Forbes magazine about low, um, how to invest in your low performers and why you should. So really, you know, this is what I, I work with my clients on authentic leadership. And one of the things I'm passionate about is leaders should be investing in their people. And when you invest even in your low performers, everybody, the studies show and the research shows, everybody comes up. So I'm excited for that article. I'm writing more articles about trust. I mean, the relationship between sustainability and 
human-centered business, um, businesses that are really support their people, that are good for their employees, you, you can't have a sustainable business if you're not really treating your employees well. I, I just don't think so. It, it's so, you know, I'm big with my clients on having them really look at their values. What are your values and are you living them? And if you believe in your people, your people will work really hard for you. They will perform anything, but you have to believe in them first. And it really begins with the leadership. So this is a lot of the work that I do. I write about it. I hope I have big events coming up, but we'll see. <laughs> Beautiful. I can't wait to read the article and we'll share it with the listeners as well. That sounds really interesting. And, you know, I really admire you because a lot of people will say, okay, I've sold my company. I can now just uh, take it easy, enjoy the LA sunshine and <laughs> be at Martha's Vineyard. But you continue <laughs> to work you are very inspirational and I really, I'm very glad we met <laughs> actually during, well, we didn't get to meet in Boston during the TEDx event, but we eventually got to meet afterwards. So it was very inspiring for me to also read your book. I have to tell you, it was very engaging and I will also uh, share the link of the book, the article and, and the TEDx talk. And my last right. question <laughs> for you is a, a fun question to end with. If you could design a sustainable and eco-friendly fashion line for any famous historical figure, who would it be and why? I know exactly how I want to answer this. So honestly, I would design it for Princess Diana. And I'll tell you why. Because I remember when she first sort of came on the scene and everybody was noticing her, she made a decision early on in her celebrity. She would never be photographed in the same dress twice. Now, that has become sort of a trend. I know my daughter, who is sort of a fashionista, will never be photographed in the same dress twice. And she goes to all the weddings and the bachelorette parties and the this and and she has to have a new dress every single time. And this is that fast fashion. And I would love to go back to Princess Diana and have her show us how to gracefully use a wardrobe, love it, buy beautiful things and reuse them. I love it. I love it. This is the perfect way to end, end our episode. I love it because overconsumption is this was my own TED talk where I talked about the you can have incredible innovations and there are some incredible innovations out there when it comes to sustainability. But the elephant in the room is our addiction to overconsumption and overproduction. And as long as that's there, it's n nothing. Fashion can never be sustainable. That was my argument. And I love your answer. I didn't expect this. She was the one who started that only wear it once. I had no idea, by the way. <laughs> and so, and I think she would be, I think she would be sad today if she understood the kind of effect that has on our world, right? I think she would be the first one to say, wear it five times, <laughs> wear it 10 times, you know, really that. Um, I, I think she would be the first one to show us 
how to do that with grace and style. So yes, buy the things you love and love them. And I, I do. Sometimes I show up in a, in a party and a friend will say to me, I've seen that shirt before. And I look straight at them and I say, and you will see it again. I love this shirt. I of think course. it's absolutely beautiful. You know, when I gave my TED talk, I made the point, I didn't mention it, but I wore a dress that I fed for 14 years and shoes I fed for seven years. They were Zara. The shoes were Zara. I wore them on both, both of the talks. So I didn't make it a point to change new shoes, new, even for that. But I, I think it's very important to keep wearing after all. What is sustainable? Keep wearing what you already have and wear it lovingly, wear it many times. I totally agree with you. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Pleasure to talk to you too. Thank you so much for having me, Mary. I hope we connect yes. in the future. And maybe when you come to Paris, we meet up here, have coffee. I would love to. If you're in Paris, I, yes, we'll keep in touch because I do hope that I'll be in Paris, um, maybe even this fall. So I'll let you know. Great, great. I would love to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.